Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share their insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Mitch Dodd is the Chief Operating Officer at Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, a company that provides education and health-oriented footwear to keep their customers active for life. Over the last 16 and a half years, Mitch has managed stores, overseen IT, marketing, inventory, and team development. After attending the University of Western Ontario for kinesiology, he moved to Vancouver in 2001. By the way, for any listeners who are in the U.S. or worldwide, University of Western Ontario would be considered kind of the Harvard of Canada. Uh, Mitch started working for Kintech at the bottom and has been almost a year since Mitch transitioned from VP Ops to the COO. In his current position as second in command, Mitch exercises his unique expertise of problem solving and creating a growth culture. Mitch is also one of the members of the COO Alliance. So Mitch, welcome to the second in command podcast. Welcome, Cameron. Or thanks, Cameron. It's great to have you. <laughs> it's all good. So um, tell me a little bit about your uh, transition. I guess over the years, you've played pretty much every role in the organization and your growth. How did you progress in your role? And, and, um, and also tell us briefly what, you know, what Kintech does as well so we have a good, better understanding of the business. Sure. I think you hit on it well. Uh, at the core of our mission is to help keep people active on their feet for life. Often people don't realize what, how inhibiting foot pain, knee pain, back pain can be. Others that realize it and are trying to avoid it, we have tools such as footwear, orthotics, and sports medicine products that really help keep them trucking and keep them doing the things that they love. The heart and key to our success is our team's expertise, that their, their ability to get to know each customer and make sure they provide a customized solution for each person. Nice. So for myself, over the 17 years, uh, I started as a retail sales associate, helping customers, uh, using my kinesiology experience, and then I never said no to an opportunity. Every opportunity that came up, I said yes. Uh, any project that came up, I figured out a way to make that project successful, to see the benefit for both the company and the team so that we provide win-win situations. And that's really allowed me to continue to grow and oversee the whole operations today. And what's the, what's the scope of the operations today, just so we understand how many locations and employees, people understand what your uh, span of control is like? Sure. Uh, we actually have quite a complex business. So Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, the, we have 11 stores in the Lower Mainland and two stores throughout uh, the rest of British Columbia. We have a software and or wholesale orthotics company called Kiwi Orthotic Services that services uh, foot professionals all throughout North America and lab clients as far as Korea. We have, and then we've recently acquired a chain of orthotic companies in Southern Ontario as a part of a strategy for growth in that area. And they have nine corporate locations and five franchise locations. So currently we have about 27 retail locations as well as a wholesale side of the business and a software company. And ballpark number of employees? We have uh, about 150 employees. Okay, so the real business, real growth. What was the size of the company when you started with them? Probably two and a half million. Uh, and right now we would be sitting, I think collectively with all the entities, 
approximately 16 million. The acquisition was only about two months ago, so I'm still learning their numbers. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about some of the, the learning that you've taken along the way. I mean, as you said, you've kind of done every role in the organization. And um, what, what learning and skills have you been able to gather over the years that I guess that you really, really have learned lessons that you've really internalized? I think and the focus, most and focus, sorry, and focus mostly on the kind of operations and leadership and, um, you know, business lessons versus anything on the science side. Sure. Uh, I think the, the real key is that people are at the heart of every business. Uh, when you put people first and think about the success of people, uh, collectively, you guys or the team will go ahead. So hmm. lessons are learning, um, mentors, finding great facilitators, great mentors, good business coaches, uh, read lots of books, uh, listen to people that are ahead of you and smarter than you and have the ability to challenge their thoughts and make sure it makes sense for your business. So we followed the Rockefeller habits and we started on that process in 2008. And part of what I really learned through that is just because a recipe is good doesn't mean it's the perfect recipe for you. So you have to make it your own. Yeah. Tell tell us a little bit about that. I'm curious some of the, and I've, I've been following Vern's Rockefeller, Vern Harness's Rockefeller habits for gosh, 20, almost 20 years. Um, and as you guys have been, what lessons have you pulled from the Rockefeller habits or his new book scaling up? And then how have you iterated those to make them your own? So one of the most important things for us is a solid huddle and meeting rhythm schedule so that you can hold people accountable and talk on a regular basis. Uh, we've adapted it to be to work really well for us. So rather than daily huddles with our managers, they have three huddles a week. That that's the right rhythm. Um, and we've iterated that agenda many times to make sure that those uh, huddles are really effective and engaging and that people are learning and growing together. Mm. And I think that's the key to to all of it is quarterly themes, annual planning is an important thing. Uh, for many years, we tried uh, some of the theme or theming, uh, and eventually that just didn't stick because at the heart of what we do, it's delivering good customer service. And after the sixth time of great customer service as a theme, <laughs> it's a little bit boring. Yeah. <laughs> So you, you mentioned the um, the daily huddles or the, the three times a week huddles that you guys do. Walk us through what one of your huddles looks like, how long it runs, um, you know, who runs them. Give us kind of the backbone of the system that, that's starting to work well for you guys now. Sure. Uh, for the store manager ones, the our director of store operations runs those. And Tuesdays are all about what's your plans for the week? What what's going well, what didn't go well last week, what do you need to do differently. Wednesday will be a themed topic. So reports from marketing, reports from the lab, discussions on a variety of things around the company. And then Fridays are um, a little bit of follow-up on how the week went and what's succeeded, what's not succeeded, uh, so that they can learn from each other and hold each other accountable. And, and who runs the huddles? The uh, director of store operations. Okay, so the same person runs them. How uh, I think th that's what it was about a year ago. Um, 
we often update things, so it might have switched that they have multiple moderators, but we found one really good moderator that connected with the group, so we ran with that for a period of time. How long do you run them for? They are 15 minutes, 15 and then uh, monthly we do an extended phone call. Tell, tell, me about, um, tell me about your annual planning process. How do you guys run those? Yeah, so we start with uh, everything's based around uh, our painted picture or vivid vision. So that starts, we have that already created and we bring in an outside company facilitator that uh, helps us look at where we've been for the last year, where we need to go and we do that with our executive level. Once we've got a really clear picture of where the company is going for the year, everybody starts to break out into their individuals. So marketing will have its own annual meeting. We have a manager's meeting, uh, development days, where we go through that with them. We have prolific development days. And we just follow that concept throughout the whole company from the annual quarterly and just continue to break it down. Um, and, and you talked about the... Uh the, the splitting off into each business group. So when each business group goes off for their, you know, annual planning com component, what are they focusing on? What are they working on? So they're working on how their business area will fit into the yearly goals and the KPIs that are required for their business area. And then they commit those back up to the team? Correct. Is there a sign-off process at all at the leadership team level or do you just accept what they're saying? How does that work? Usually either I'm involved with it or it is coming back up through our regular quarterly meetings with our directors. And then how do you keep visibility with those when they come back and say, you know, these are the metrics we're going to be responsible for this year or these are the projects we're going to deliver on? How do you, um, how does that visibility stay on them? How do you work with them on them? How do you ensure they happen? Uh, so there's two methods. One, we have a really clear roadmap uh, document for executives. The next layer is uh, on our sales dashboards and our reporting. We have an internal sales dashboard that shows us all of our KPIs and we can, it provides really good transparency and then really good one-on-one -on -one meetings with each director to make sure that they're on point moving forward and not hitting any roadblocks. Okay. And so what, when you're working with each of the business areas, what areas do you oversee currently and, and which areas does the CEO oversee? I oversee everything. So uh, <laughs> I oversee uh, all of our directors. Uh, our CEO is used really well as a visionary and business development or construction related projects. Hmm. I oversee finance, marketing, IT, stores, so everything else rolls up to you. Yeah. Is there any area of the business that you um, that you love running more than another? Is there one that you're more passionate about? I think one of the areas that surprises me of how much I enjoy and have grown is uh, the area of marketing. Uh, we had a great director of marketing and the two of us were really able to bounce a lot of great ideas. And as we pushed our marketing forward over the last three years, and I've really enjoyed understanding brand and how a brand fits into company culture, mm. how important it is that your company lives its brand every day. So, so how do you guys live your brand and, and how would you describe your, your culture to us? You talked a little bit about being heart-centered as an organization. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about your company culture and how do you live that brand every day? 
So one of the things that I think makes us really unique is that our owner is very customer centric. He absolutely has a passion for us delivering remarkable experiences. Uh, we have over 950 plus five-star Google reviews at our 11 locations, which really to me says we're doing a great job at helping make sure we live our mission of keeping people active on their feet. Mm-hmm. I have a passion for our team and growing each individual piece of the team, being the servant leader that makes sure that we are here to support everybody to be in their best position so that they can deliver that to the experience, to the customer. And I think that combination of two strong passions really puts our growth and leadership forward as a company. We spend a tremendous amount of hours on individual uh, and company learning and development. Next week, we are closing the entire company for our annual conference. So once a year, we shut our entire company down for the day to celebrate what happened last year, to provide some learning and growth, and to look ahead to where we're going to and what we're going to achieve next year. And that's a big commitment from the CEO owner to close the entire company for a day and pay everybody to make sure we're on the same page. For sure. What um, you, you mentioned the servant leader and it's interesting. You're the second person in the uh, last like two hours who's mentioned servant leadership to me and servant leadership is one of the core tenants that Starbucks executive team focuses on. Walk us through what servant leadership means to you and, and um, you know, how you work on that and how you instill that style into the organization. Servant leadership to me, uh, I think you've described it on a number of the podcasts and at a number of the COO events where you inverse that org chart, where the leader is there to support the people around him so that they're growing, that they have the opportunity to make mistakes, they have opportunity to learn from those mistakes. And as a company, we really strive hard at collaboratively listening so that when we make a decision on the new route, it's going to provide value to all levels and not just an idea that the executive has that's going to be really difficult for the front line to execute every day. It's interesting. I, I didn't know that that's what I was doing. I, I've just done always kind of built companies that way, but I didn't know that that would be servant leadership. So I was, I was actually asking because I was kind of intrigued. I've heard of it over the years and I've never actually taken the time to dive into it. So um, talk about, about the CEO and COO for a second. I mean, I, I've always believed that the COO's job is, is to really be that yin and yang to the, C, the CEO, to really be that true partner. How do you get on the same page with the CEO in terms of the vision for the organization? And how do they get on the page with you in terms of your operational plans? How do you guys stay in sync and um, and work together? It, like any relationship, it takes lots of work. And it's been an interesting and an evolving relationship over the 17 years that I've been here and, and worked with uh, Mark, our CEO, who is an extremely passionate person. Uh, and I never have to worry about his vision because I hear about it often from him of, of where he wants to go. And then my job is to take all those wonderful ideas and make them into executable plans, filter through the good ones to find uh, the gems that we can execute on and that will see us growing sustainably for many years. Hmm. 
So do you talk about how you work on it? What do you guys do to work on that relationship? What specifically? What's worked really well uh, over the last year since I've transitioned into to my role is regular meetings. I call him or we text on a regular basis, both being in Vancouver. It's really effective for that. Uh, and our owner's really happy when, A, the numbers are going well. Obviously, that makes life easy uh, or easier. Um, but B, when he's informed that he knows what's happening. If he doesn't know what's happening, he starts to make assumptions. And then that's when things can go off the rails in the relationship. And you just have to have the heartfelt conflict and debate and make sure that you can both walk away with the best plan that is going to serve the entire company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys are, you guys are clearly in sync there as well. Um, have there ever been any hiccups along the way where you've had to rebuild with them, with the CEO? Of course. Uh, that's with all relationships and it's speaking your truth. Uh, both of us are able to speak our truth to each other and have the respect that of the talent that the other person brings. Uh, and the more that we've understood what that talent is, the more that we can understand the perspective that the other person's coming from. So speak your truth, hammer it out, find a way to collectively work together. Um, you talked a little bit about the the whole heart-centered side of things. How Talk to us a little bit about that and the culture inside of Kintech. So as a company, uh, our goal is to help people. We want to see people um, do more of the things that they love. So if people don't have a passion for helping people, they don't fit. Uh, It doesn't make sense for them to be here and help our customers that are in pain or are trying to avoid pain or are trying to achieve their goals. So because that's the heart of everything that we do, uh, it becomes reflective in everything we do. So we try to carry that through so that our head office understands that their job is to support our stores uh, and our store's job is to support the customers. And mm. then when we put that first, we create wonderful success. Are you guys seeing any impact from the um, you know online commerce right now? I know Canada is a little bit slower than than the U.S. in terms of its migration over to um, you know moving away from retail to online. Are you seeing anything there, or is your business largely um, immune-ish to that because people have to come in and you know have a physical side of their their meeting with you? Uh, so we have a few facets to our company uh, with the customer orthotics and the medical space. Uh, certainly in Canada, the extended medical plans require people to have come in and seen an expert. So that is keeps us a little immune for now. Uh, we don't kid ourselves. We think that technology will be coming down the line where people will be able to take a photo of their foot and print stuff out or come up with who knows what creative ideas will be coming down the line. Uh, And then on the retail footwear side of it, we, e-commerce is probably one and a half or 2% of our business, Mm. but we're there and we make sure we have an e-commerce site because we put ourselves in our customer shoes and many customers would love to have our experience. They love to get the right shoe. And when it comes to their next shoe purchase, they want it to be convenient. They don't necessarily want to have to visit us again. So we have that e-commerce space. So for those customers, we can 
you know, meet them in, in their shopping needs. And then meet them in the middle. Um, in, in doing this acquisition that you just did with the group out of Toronto, um, so different side of the country, um, complexities with geography, it's, you know, three time zones away. Um, you guys were exclusively operating in British Columbia. Now you're operating in a completely different province, which has different um, business challenges. It has different um, political challenges. Um, and again, all that geography. How have you guys managed that acquisition? And how, you know, what have you learned? I guess the the, the goods and the bads um, in learning. So, yeah, we're two and a half months in. And the... The biggest way that we've succeeded so far is um, working on culture first. Uh, the The new group had a, a different culture uh, than we currently have. And so far, everyone that we've interacted with the team there, we've, we've put their goals first. We've helped make sure that they understand the big picture, that they understand the brand that we're going to be building, how they can contribute to it. We've started with our learning and development centers uh, there. And so far, the, the team's really excited about that culture, and they seem to be buying into it. Uh, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to take time. It's, there's going to be lots of struggles with it being 4,500 4, kilometers away uh, because we're not there on a regular basis. Uh, I'm back once or twice a month. And... You know, there is a distance that, that has to be covered. You talked to, um, just about some of the challenges. So what would, what would a couple of the big challenges have been? So the biggest challenge, I think, will be uh, getting traction in a new marketplace. Uh, the Ontario market, one of the bigger challenges is that the Ontario market has significantly more uh, insurance fraud related to orthotics hmm. in terms of uh, competition. There's a lot of fly-by-night competition that doesn't necessarily have our education and certification. Uh, and that's going to be a bit of an uphill battle that we, fortunately, knock on wood, haven't to had to fight in BC as much. It's interesting. You guys have got a really strong brand in British Columbia as well. I mean, I think everyone pretty much knows the Kintech brand in British Columbia. Um, if I think back to why I know your brand, it was the radio ads. Is that been key to building your brand and your strategy over time? Uh, it's a component to our marketing strategy. Uh, one of the things that's made us most successful is trying to be everywhere. So we have regular newspaper ads. We spend a lot of time on our blog posts. We spend a lot of time on our video strategy. We do over 100 plus community events through our stores every year where we're wow. in the local communities. Uh, we're on the radio ads. Um, so we're constantly just trying to grow that brand and that brand awareness within the community. How do you measure, how do you measure the marketing effectiveness? What do you look at? So we look at uh, every campaign. We'll look at the sales that are generated from it. So we spend a lot of time at our point of sale uh, tracking why every customer comes in. We care about that, whether it's email, whether it's Facebook, whether it's a newspaper ad. And then there's things like radio that, are a little more nebulous. You're never going to directly um, be able to attribute to it. But if our overall growth is is happening in sales, um, we know that it's having the impact we want. So do you, do you just have a fixed percentage that you continue to spend on marketing? Is that just 
kind of the basic and you just keep spending that percentage as you grow or? Correct. Yep. We have, uh, we normally aim somewhere around 4% for our marketing, uh, the cost of our marketing. And we make sure we're, you know, we measure every campaign. Uh, We measure our digital through SEO and optimization and we measure newspaper. We measure as much as we possibly can uh, to know which campaigns are effective. And we've our marketing team has an annual roadmap and every campaign is evaluated and we determine whether we keep it for the next year or edit, drop or repeat. Drop or repeat. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier I wanted to, I just went through my notes and I wanted to ask a question about, um, you said that you bring in an outside facilitator to run your annual planning meetings, your annual, uh, why do you do that? And, and is that something you think you'll always continue doing? Definitely. Uh, we So when we started on the Rockefeller Habits in 2008, we used a business coach and that was really effective for about two to three years. And then uh, we started to outgrow him. It was part of the time uh, during the economic downturn where numbers were getting tighter and we had to question what we were spending our money on. And then probably about 2012, uh, we connected with um, a uh, another EO member. Uh, my owner's a part of EO and in the EO forum, and uh, he's come in and done the business facilitation of the meetings. And what he's really effective on is he'll meet with our team and help the executive or the leadership team help us understand where we want to go next year. And then when we do the actual retreat, he helps facilitate or guide the conversation so that the entire team comes up with one collective uh, vision that is aligned with where the executive wants to go. So it's a really effective way Mm. of pulling ideas out of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's the strength of having a really good facilitator. And it's not necessarily a skill. Even if you learn the skill, it's good having that third party outsider who can facilitate the group, isn't it? Completely. Yeah. So I often facilitate our annual marketing meeting, not because our manager can't lead it, but because I want it to be facilitated and have him be a part of the conversation, not lead the conversation. Yeah, it's interesting. That's a huge skill set that I think a lot of companies miss out on is they think that they're gaining the skill to do it on their own and they miss the opportunity to have that third party who can be there to, um, to guide everyone in a conversation in a much better way. It also removes a little bit of the bias as well, right? Where the facilitator can often get the the more dominant expressive people to stop talking as much and draw out some of the information from the quieter, analytical, amiable people as well. Completely agreed. I'm I'm a big advocate of uh, outside facilitation. So you talked about um, individual and learning development for the company as a big focus. So are there any core areas that you're focused on really growing the team right now if you think about the leadership team itself? The leadership team right now, what we're trying to grow on is um, one thing I really want to see us do this year is codify our culture. We saw Michelle Falcon speak at the November COO event, and I really loved how they codified every bit of their culture and knew exactly and systematized it. And uh, I want to see our our team, our leaders really own that and, and live into that culture this year. I'll tell you, when you're in Toronto next, you should take some of your uh, key people in Toronto to, for dinner at Barrow, Michelle's restaurant it's out on King Street, and uh, have him 
just spend a little bit of time with you. You will be blown. He'll give you a tour. He'll walk you around. He walked me through that place about a year ago and he was hugging everybody, high-fiving people. And it was honest and authentic and he knew everybody by name. And there were dozens and dozens of employees. And he had the same kinds of interaction with a guy who was a doorman, a guy who was in back washing dishes, a chef, one of the bartenders, one of the cute waitresses. There was no bias on his discussions with anybody. He didn't treat the cute waitress any different from the guy washing dishes or the doorman versus the chef. And it was really powerful to see how well he knew the people and his impact. At one point, I even said, you know, you just gave like three girls a hug. And he goes, yeah, but I gave all the guys hugs too. And I'm like, yeah, like, are you not worried that any of the girls are going to kind of call you out on the Me Too movement? He goes, no. He goes, it's so authentic and it's so me that they'd almost be upset if I didn't give them a hug because I'm giving everybody a hug. Like, it's just, it's part of their Latin culture in that bar or restaurant, right? Um, he really crushed it. I would imagine. I It was on my list. I tried to go the last time I was there, uh, except that I was trying to go for lunch and they're only open for dinner. So Yeah, go for dinner. And if you need an, if you need an intro to, um, to Michelle, drop me an email and I'll introduce you to him so he can make sure that he's there for you too because he's a, a wonderful host, but he, um, he really does display culture. So it's interesting you talked about codifying culture. And I've been saying for years that I've codified culture in a, in a way that most companies don't get it. Most companies think culture is about the, the free massages and the wee room and the, um, you know, the perks. What does culture mean to you inside of Kintech and, and how do you think you start to codify it as you grow the organization? Culture is how we live our core values every day. I'm actually doing a talk at this for our, at our conference next week. So it is the investment we put into uh, 10 days of uh, full-time training for every new team member uh, or for every new retail team member. It is the habit of meeting eight times a year to make sure they're growing. It is our, we not only do a painted picture for the company, but we encourage every team member to do their own personal painted pictures so that they can grow forward and we can be a part of it, ideally be a part of it. And if not, we can support them in where they want to go whether that's physio, occupational therapy, often in-house. It's, it's how you make sure we live it by making sure everybody's succeeding and growing. It's interesting. I, I bet I know the answer to this question that you're going to give, um, and I'm curious. If someone is working with Kintech and their personal vivid vision is starting to show you and them that at some point they're going to have to leave Kintech and go somewhere else in their career or for their life, how, how do you guys feel about that and what do you do with that? Uh, so I'll give you a perfect example. Our director of marketing that had been with us uh, for 10 years that had started in his assistant and grew up to be the manager and then eventually took over as the director. Um, Last year, he came to us because he wanted to open his own marketing agency, his own branding agency. Uh, so we supported that. He was a part of the transition. We found he was part of the interview process. He stayed on and has worked as a consultant to bring the new person up to speed. We want to see Warren succeed and we want to see Warren do very well. And it's important that we, because he was honest and truthful for us, we, we did it in, in a collective manner. And he's probably going to become one of your biggest raving fans and advocates of the organization. I was, I was telling someone earlier that I think one of our roles as leaders, as hard as it is, because there's been a lot of talk recently on Gen Y and that Gen Y is only loyal for six months to a year at a time. And how do you keep them longer, keep them longer? I'm like, 
don't try to just if if it's time for them to move on help them move on so that they'll be that raving fan and then you've really it's kind of like raising kids you know our job is to raise these happy healthy independent kids who can go off and flourish on their own it's not to try to contain them so they can live at home for the rest of their life <laughs> god forbid my two kids decide to live at home forever well and you never know when they'll come back so right. we remember a couple of years ago that had been with us for close to 10 years and his wife uh, got a residency to become a doctor in Ottawa. So him and uh, Matt and his, his two kids at the time moved to Ottawa for two years. And of course we supported him in that adventure. Uh, and now that the residency's finished, he came back to us this summer. Yeah. And some, that's just the natural evolution, right? At some point it's just time for them to spread their wings and do their thing. Yep. Interesting. Um, you mentioned the the 10 days training and onboarding. We used to do a lot of that at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I remember we had a girl in our marketing team who was really frustrated that we weren't letting her start her job for a couple of weeks. And, and I always thought it was critical. It sounds like you guys do as well. In what ways do you train these people? And do you do anything similar at the corporate you know, or the head office side? So... Uh for, we often hire a lot of uh, either kin grads or active people in the community. And to deliver the level of expertise that we want for data analysis and customer service, it takes at least 10 days uh, full-time training to get them up to speed to deliver the experience that we want. Uh, so that's just a required part of what we do. And with our head office, what we've been driving towards over the last year uh, as people become onboarded is that they spend time in the store. They shadow in our stores, they shadow assessments, they have an assessment on themselves, they get orthotics themselves so that they understand what our customers experience every day, even for the people at our head office. Yeah, that's awesome. So you talked, uh, last question I want to tie into before I get you to leave us with a bit of a parting thought, you talked about how you live your core values daily inside the organization, how you, you, you know get people to live your core values. How do you teach people to live the core values at Kintech and, and what are your core values there? Yeah, so our core values are uh, being passionate about helping people, pursuing growth and innovation, building on open, honest relationships, uh, being an engaged team player, and being active and involved. So we find the people that fit our culture. We're hard on our interview stage. We look for the right people. We make sure that they are living it and being a part of it. And if they're not, we have discussions around that and coach them up or coach them onto another opportunity. You, you just crushed the number one thing that I think almost everyone misses. And it's that you actually hire people that already live your core values. You know, they asked um, Herb Kelleher, who was the founder of Southwest Airlines, just passed away a few days ago. And they asked Herb Kelleher, how do, you, how do you get all your employees to smile like they do? And he goes, well, we hire smiley people. Um, you know, you can't, you can't teach grumpy negative people to be happy and you can't teach people to live core values they don't already live. So I think you actually just crushed really one of the core underlying principles of codifying culture is you hire people that already live the core values. You also really nailed your core values as a company I've always said that you really want to keep your core values to four or five core values. You've got five and that core values should be very um, easy to understand simple phrases that need no explanation. And you nailed that as well. So you guys are clearly doing all the groundwork and it's paying off for you. If you had one lesson for yourself that um, you wish you'd known at a younger age when you were 
really beginning in your real true leadership career, something you know today that you wish you'd known earlier, what would that one be? I would say uh, be hard on things. So there's times where my gut has uh, told me one thing and I've been soft on it. Um, and those times always backfire. So, you know, whether it's a hire, um, a promotion, a new project that somebody else wants to start and run with, or even just the communication that you hear somebody else putting out, there's times where I've said, oh, I don't think that's, that's ah, okay, well, you know, I'll let that go. And then those are the ones that always blow up and, and become a disaster later on. So trust your dad and, and be hard on your own decisions. That's interesting. You, you clearly get it. Mitch Dodd, Chief Operating Officer for Kintech Foot Labs. Thank you very much for being a guest on the Second in Command podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it, buddy. We'll see you at one of the next events. Sounds great. Look forward to it. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.